0: Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to announce that the Steroid to CEO podcast has joined forces with Future Commerce, the number one podcast in e-commerce. We're combining forces to bring you the most insightful and relevant content in the world of tech and entrepreneurship. We're launching new content every week starting in July, and I don't want you to miss it. So subscribe to Steroid to CEO right now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and let's take your business to the next level. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 16 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today we have an insightful and fun interview with Gail Becker, the founder and CEO of, of Power. Within its first two years, Power became a top 10 frozen pizza brand and captured over 2% of the $5 billion U.S. pizza market. Known today as the number one cauliflower crust pizza, Power is now the third fastest growing company of all food brands in the U.S. In this episode, Gail speaks with us about how she left her job in corporate America to launch her business, Calla Power, with a mission to reinvent America's favorite comfort foods. Tune in to hear about all of this and more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Gail. Thank you so much for being on the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you and hear your story about how you grew Call of Power. Um, Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So to get things started, I'd love to learn, where are you from?
1: It's a bit of a mixed bag. I grew up in Orange County, California, for part of my childhood and also San Francisco. But California girl, born and bred,
0: though I moved around a lot. All right. What was childhood like for you? Were you entrepreneurial as a kid?
1: You know, wow, what a good question. Yes and no. I, I was very independent. My The reason I, I gave you two cities is because my parents were divorced uh, when I was only one year old. So I really grew up in both locations and actually starting at three years old, had to fly from Orange County to San Francisco every weekend. Wow. Uh, and so I think while i don 't know if that gave me the entrepreneurial spirit, it certainly gave me an independent spirit, um, in which case I, I, I was always attracted to the thought of owning my own business or do, or you know doing something that I could call my own. I think my entrepreneurial spirit came from my father, who was an entrepreneur, both my parents are immigrants i 'm a first generation American. And, um, he used to have a store in San Francisco and I used to work in the store every Saturday for $20 plus lunch. And I used to bring the cash register starting at about five years old. Wow. So it was a really good perch from which to learn a little bit about
0: life and, and, and everything in it. What were some of those things that you learned so early as a child?
1: Um, You know, the one thing I was always struck by in watching my father run his business was um, he could build a relationship with anyone. Anyone who came into his store, he knew them by name, he would build a relationship with them. When he later sold the store and but still had the business, he used to sell salvage goods, everything from brooms to food, mostly food, interestingly enough. And he would build relationships with, you know, the people who worked in the kitchen, not the manager, but the people who worked in the kitchen. And he'd talk to them about what they what the kinds of things that they were seeing. And he spoke eight different languages wow. and so it was, he, he, everything he
0: built was always around people. And, um, I'd like to think that stuck with me. Absolutely. What a role model. And, um, that's a lot of back and forth for you as a kid, traveling back and forth for your parents and, uh, really amazing opportunity to work so young as a cashier and see that firsthand. <laughs>
1: exactly. I'm sure I, I'm sure I gave
0: out uh, way too much change, but <laughs> <laughs> miscounting here and there, you know, Exactly. exactly. Learning along the way. (laughs) Sounds like your dad was a charming guy and you kind of saw that as a really great quality, maybe in leading a team. Do you take that into how you run your business today? Yeah, I do. Actually,
1: both areas of it. So on the, you know, for our consumers, I like to build relationships with them, even though I obviously don't know all of them by name, but I watch what they say. I listen to what I hear. I read their notes. I, I see every email that comes into the company from a consumer. Sometimes it's letters, sometimes it's phone calls. But I love taking in that information and really understanding where the consumer is coming from. As for our team, they really are more, our most precious resource. They are the reason that Colleague Power is, is successful as successful it, as it is today. And um, I love being able to foster an environment where... I recently read of a term called entrepreneurs. you know, people who are entrepreneurs within a company. And um, I like to think that I have fostered that relationship. We have good ideas
0: all the time and they come from all levels of the company. And I love that. That's great. And so as a kid, you were working a lot. It sounds like you developed <laughs> a, a pretty strong work ethic from a very young age, which is really impressive. Did you have time for sports or what kind of things were you into in school? I always loved uh, writing.
1: So I was in the uh, poetry club. I was in journalism. I was like, worked on the school papers. Uh, and um, and I also was really into um, uh, speech and debate. And so I would go to different speech contests and so forth. The interesting thing about that though, is that when I was little, I had a very bad stuttering problem. And my mother took me to lots of therapists and, you know, worked with me until I got rid of it. But it's interesting. I I can't help but think that there was a connection between growing up with this stuttering problem and feeling compelled to enter the world and the competition of speech and debate um, which uh I used to love and work on very hard when I was young,
0: wow, so you had this challenge as a child, this stuttering kind of problem and but you saw debating as a way to maybe break through that?
1: yeah, uh, you know for some reason, I have always um I have always
0: loved getting out of my comfort zone. I was going to say most people would avoid that. I think as a kid, (laughs) no, thanks. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I like
1: to think maybe I, 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 I inherited that from my uh, parents. Um, but I, I have always measured success by how comfortable I can get in things that are inherently uncomfortable to me. Uh, which isn't to say I've I've you know climbed Mount Everest or you know um, uh, you know swam the deepest oceans. I certainly have not, um, but there are challenges that I give myself just to see if I can overcome them. I don't think there's any greater sense of accomplishment or self worth than showing yourself that you can do it.
0: I agree with you completely. I think it builds enormous confidence um, when you do that, and it obviously builds that resilience muscle over time. That's yeah. really necessary for entrepreneurship.
1: I love the notion of a resilience muscle. Yes, that is that that is the number one uh, muscle flexed in this uh, <laughs> on this crazy journey for sure.
0: Exactly. So, did you go to college? What happened? Uh, you know, when you're a teenager, you're going into school. Were yeah. you still working as a cashier as a teenager?
1: Oh, no, no. That ended uh, fairly young. My father eventually sold his store and then took his business just um, private. But um, it was a small business, by the way. It was not a large business in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, it was the American dream. He came here with nothing and, you know, left with, you know, a, a small home that he owned and a, and a business that he could call his own. And it yeah. was really great enough. Um, for me, you know, education, because my parents, because they were not educated, college was always something that was incredibly important to them. So uh, I did, I, I went to UCLA undergraduate, uh, studied political science, and then I went on to get a master's in journalism because I really, my whole life, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. And I, I worked in journalism for many years and ultimately decided you know, to follow another path. But when I think of what I had worked so hard for while I was in those formative years,
0: that was definitely it. So what were some of those internships or first jobs that you had while you were going through college? Oh my God, gosh, do you ask great questions. I haven't thought about
1: these in quite some time. Uh Let's see. um, One summer I uh, interned uh, at uh, ABC News in Washington, D.C. Cool. And that was a great internship and it was a wonderful internship because obviously I I learned a lot. I did a lot of grunt work, too. But the way that they thanked us was not with money, but they locked us in a room with just I'm aging myself here, but uh, with Ted Koppel for an hour. Uh, I hope your listeners know who Ted Koppel was, quite legendary. Uh, and we could ask him anything we wanted for an hour.
0: And, and for those who, for those who don't know who... Yes, yeah. okay, go ahead. We should. Go.
1: Yes, um, uh, Ted Koppel was the uh, Anderson Cooper of our time, uh, but yeah. even more so because there were a lot less choices. Uh, and uh, he had a very famous show, Nightline, and he really was one of the great American... I don't even want to say broadcasters, but, you know, journalists really of our time of, of our history. Uh, and it was, it was just an honor to meet him. And quite frankly, he had a really big impact in my, on my life because my question to him was, you know, I want to be a journalist. I'm studying communications. I hate communications. I'm not doing particularly well. I don't even understand what I'm learning half the time. And, um, He said, you know, he said, if you're going to come work for me, I don't want you to study communications. I want you to bring something that you don't already know. So, I mean, that I don't already know. So bring to me a background in history or political science or English. And I said, I'm taking a political science class and I love it. And he's like, well, that's what you should major in. So because of Ted Koppel, I went back my senior year of college and changed my major so while everyone else was partying, I was shoving in a major uh year's worth of uh four years worth of classes into one year, but um it was the right decision, and I feel really blessed to study what I loved. And I think it was a good, I'm just thinking about this in real time, but I actually think it helped set me up to appreciate what it means to study what you love and do what you love and take chances in order to make what you love a reality. Uh, Maybe that was an early seed and I didn't even know it.
0: Hey, real quick, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Future Commerce Insiders. Insiders is a weekly newsletter that brings you the information you need at the intersection of technology, entrepreneurship, and commerce. If you're a tech founder or an operator at an e-commerce brand, Insiders is purpose-built just for you. Commerce connects all of us, and entrepreneurship gives anyone the opportunity for economic advancement. So, commerce entrepreneurship has the ability to change the world. Want to join us? Do it right now at futurecommerce.fm. That's futurecommerce.fm. What an incredible experience to be able to work so closely with Todd. That's amazing. You kind of learned to follow your passion, I guess, a little bit there. How long were you at ABC? Oh, that was just a summer internship. So from
1: there, uh, when I graduated, I worked in Washington, D.C. for a long time. I covered Washington stories for local news affiliates all over the country. So I did that, loved that job. I ultimately decided to work in politics
0: and then ended up in, in public relations and communications. So what attracted you to want to work in politics?
1: You know, one thing that I realized when I was a reporter is it's almost impossible to be objective because you have so many opinions and you see so much information and it's really hard to be objective. So that was one factor. The other factor, quite frankly, was that the thing I didn't like, and I was in broadcast news, and the thing I didn't like about it is that it was so it vanished the next day. You couldn't even line like a parakeet's cage with it, right? It was, it was just like, it was just gone. And so like people rewatch that there was no internet, There was no YouTube. So it was just, it was just vanished. And, and I felt like it was, I wanted something more real. I wanted to see an impact. I wanted something that I could hold on to. It's actually one of the things I love about the business I'm in now is that I'm actually making a product that you can touch and feel and hold. And, you know, I I love that. I've never really done that before. And it's that is just extraordinary.
0: I I couldn't agree more. That must be a really exciting feeling. I've worked mostly in the B2B space. So nothing to touch or share really with the, you know, most people. It's challenging. Yeah, it is challenging.
1: It is challenging. It's, and, it was a, it was a huge opening experience for me. You know, the first time people said, Oh, I, you know, they sent me a picture holding my pizza. And, um, I was like, wow, that feels really good.
0: And I love it. And that's what I do. That's what I do. I make that and, um, love it. That's amazing. So uh, you said you went from politics to PR and communications. Yeah. Um, let's go into your job in PR. Um, what was that like? How, how did it go?
1: It was good. I I worked uh, at the world's largest PR firm for 16 years. And uh, I loved it. It was great. It gave me a lot of extraordinary opportunities. Uh, it taught me things about business that, you know, I probably couldn't have learned elsewhere. Uh, I traveled all over the world. I met fascinating people. There was so much of it to love. But Towards the end of my time there, I stopped learning, Mm -hmm. and I realized more. Even more important than that, I actually stopped caring. Yeah, like I stopped caring about who won, what new business pitch, or what company X sold of what. It just, it just was was didn't mean much to me. And I think the day you stop learning and the day you stop caring. Wherever you are is the day you have to leave one
0: hundred percent agree that 's an ex- that 's very well said so you mentioned that you learned a lot about business in your experience working there. What were some of those things that you learned about business that you 're grateful that you had moving into entrepreneurship
1: well you know it 's such an i int- 've taken such a, a unique path to this uh, entrepreneurial journey and I actually think a lot of it, particularly my time as a, you know, ostensibly as a consultant to other businesses was a gift because I had a front row seat into what made companies succeed and what made companies fail. And I also made a lot of recommendations over the years, some of which companies took and executed upon and some of which they said, oh, no, we're not going to do it, which is fine and happens but I think one of the, you know, another early realization I had when I started calling power was that I could now take all the advice that I was dishing out to others and, you know, follow it ourselves. And, you know, in the early days, first, obviously it was a staff of one, myself included. Then it was a staff of three of us for a while. It was great because we could just sit around a table and say, yeah, let's do that. Okay. And literally would be executed by the next day. I mean, that's something that, I had never witnessed any of you know, the big companies a- be able to do. It was a wonderful uh, moment.
0: That's a lot of incredible insight to be able to have that front row seat, like you said, of what you know, companies will succeed or fail, determining on different factors. What, what are some of those things? Like what were some of the things that you took back with you about what works and what doesn't?
1: I think, oh my gosh, how, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> One hour, so you're okay, good. I'll, just, I'll, I'll keep it to a minimum. You know, I think there. I think, boy, it could range from anything to the company not always being authentic, not being transparent, betting against the consumer versus betting on the consumer. There were times that, you know, there were so many filters in some cases that would happen before the information would get to the CEO. That, quite frankly, or someone of a decision making. Position. I don't even know if the information ever did. There were so many points and times that people could shut it down without really considering a, a, a larger, you know, business impact. And um, I always thought that was a mistake. You know, let's say yes before we say no. Um, but that culture doesn't always exist.
0: What were some of the challenges that you experienced in um, your time, those 16 years? What were some of the challenges that you overcame in that role that helped prepare you, I managed a lot of people. I
1: was responsible for a lot of revenue. I had some challenging clients. Obviously, we all do. Um, you know, how to navigate delivering bad information or negative information and how to celebrate the wins. And then, also, obviously, and probably not surprisingly, I think being a woman in corporate America had its significant challenges. And uh, I think I, I saw a lot of things get better and I saw some things never really change. I think it's actually a reason why a lot of women in particular enter entrepreneurship because they want to create the work environment where they can thrive and be happy. And, um, you know, sometimes that doesn't always, always exist in corporate America. So we're forced to
0: create it ourselves. Exactly. What are some of those things that you think that women look for to, to, um, that they want differently in their own companies that they're not getting at these corporate?
1: Uh, I, again, i and, and this isn't just my own, I'm, I'm, I'm basing this, not of my own experience necessarily, but also just, you know, talking with a lot of women and, and seeing situations over the years. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, it's harder for women to be heard, Um, it's harder to, you know, I'm, you know, there was a a point in time when, you know, I was the only woman on the executive committee. Uh, and you know, that was hard sometimes, uh, we communicate in different ways. We want different things from our communication. We, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. we look at different different, uh, you know, we prioritize different things for our employees. Um, I'm not saying one is better or worse, but you know, when people talk about, you know, it's important that women are at the table, that's true because women bring a lot to the table, but the corollary also has Mm -hmm. to be considered. And that is, you know, what's missing when the woman isn't there. And quite frankly, I thought it was quite a bit. And, um, and so being able to start my own business and, you know, give large roles to, to women, I don't know if, you know, other people might have, I felt like if I didn't, who would, we have a female COO Mm -hmm. and a female CFO. I'm not sure how many trifectas like that exist in, you know, the natural food industry, maybe more, I, I don't know. Or any industry. I'm super <laughs> proud of that fact. And I think it was yeah. informed by a lot of what I saw in corporate America.
0: Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, as the only female on a leadership team, having experienced that as well myself, there's definitely you know things that are missing when there's not a yeah, woman but- at that table. So, what are those things that you think are missing, other than just obviously a diverse perspective, a, a different perspective? I guess on what key things do you think you know maybe just to summarize that women bring? Quite frankly, I think women
1: are fearless.
0: You know it. Uh, it's funny. I, yeah. I recently
1: um, got a COVID test, right? Um, at, like like we all have. We're, and I was talking to the woman as she was, you know, inserting the the swab up my nose, and she said, "This is going to hurt." And I said, "Oh, it's okay. I've had kids, you know, whatever." And she said, "Oh my God, it's so true. You would be shocked if you heard every single car that comes by." The woman is always like never says a word, and the man is always saying, Oh my god, I hurt so much. I'm sorry, I shouldn't raise that, but she just said it to me and I thought it was just sticking in my head. But I just um but but I think it, you know, it's a it's a fearlessness and it's an uh, uh, a fearlessness to address issues that may be uncomfortable. Um uh, mm-hmm. to really tackle the difficult decisions head on. But do that in a way that encompasses everybody's feedback. I think it's really easy to make decisions based on, you know, okay, well, yeah, let's do that, right? But women, I found, and again, I don't want to make any huge generalizations here, but I think women are very welcoming of other people's opinions, of conflicting opinions, of opinions that uh, are more diverse. And, you know, we shouldn't make decisions without a good representation of everybody, women, men, people of color, everything. And, um, that just makes for a better business. And so yep. I'm not, you know, shedding any you know, remarkable yeah. light here. This is, it's just business one one And I think and I think women are really good at that.
0: So how did you transition into entrepreneurship? At what point when you, were, you know, on this journey, you're like, I think I need to start my own business or I want to, and this is what I have to do.
1: So it was really a culmination of three things. One was I was unhappy in corporate life. I just had really, I was more and more, I was unhappy. I was too comfortable. Uh, and, um, and so I was just, I, I was, I was rudderless and not finding a lot of meaning in what I was doing. Two, I had stumbled across cauliflower crust pizza, didn't invent it, uh, tried to make it on the internet. There were 569,000 recipes on the internet. Uh, I, I saw one, made it, it was okay, not great. Um, my sons asked me if I was going to make it again I said there's no way it took 90 minutes when I got home from a full day of work and but I said I'll find it for you and it wasn't anywhere and it was that realization like huh I can't be alone in thinking that 90 minutes is too much time to make a pizza crust in fact I kind of think it's insulting that someone thinks I do have that time so that's the second part. And the third element, and, and maybe in some ways the most powerful, was um, my father passed away. And when he died, something inside me really changed. And I realized I wanted to do something more meaningful, something more long-lasting, something that, you know, would honor everything he You know, gave me and everything he taught me. And what better way to do that than to follow in his entrepreneurial footsteps? And so I put all of those three things in a blender. And what I came out with was I know I'm going to leave corporate America and start a
0: company called Cooling
1: Power. And that's
0: what I did. What was that moment? When was that? Where were you? Do you remember like a specific moment? Where, yeah, yeah,
1: very well. I do remember it. Um, I talked to my sons about it at dinner and I said this was something that I wanted to do and they were super supportive. And I just, it was almost like a calling. I, I, it was the most irrational thing I could have possibly done, but it was, I knew I had to do it. And I distinctly remember sitting my boys down at the kitchen table And making the first call to start calling Power. Because I wanted them to be there at that moment. I wanted them to see that you're never too old to bet on yourself. And... I love that. And so that's what we did. And uh, yeah, that was um,
0: in May of 2016. And so... This knowing feeling. I think this gets a lot of entrepreneurs a little like, you know, what do you mean this? No, what do you mean? You just knew? How did you
1: know? Um. Well, you never really know. I always say it's like starting a business is like having kids. If you wait for the right time, you're never going to do it. So you can't wait for the right time. You can't wait for that time when you absolutely know, because you don't. Right. But it was this overwhelming feeling that if I don't do this now, and look, I'm a bit of an older entrepreneur, right? So everybody start, comes to this realization at a different time in their life. But uh, for me, it was a little bit later. But I, oh, I'm very envious of people who come to this realization much younger. And look, so it took me a long time. But I realized if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. I'll tell you the name of the blog that I wrote when I announced what I was doing. Um, it's called. It was called. Uh, Better to say "oops" than "what if," which is a, a, a famous saying, but one of the words that words that I live by. I never knew Kali Power would be what it was today, What it is today. Not in a million years. I People say, oh, how did you know? Well, I didn't know. How could I possibly know? I mean, I thought, okay, I'll have a nice little business. Maybe I'll sell in like, you know, maybe little foods. I don't know. And, right. Uh, of course I didn't know. But, um, it's, but that's what makes it so remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I think if you talk to most entrepreneurs, they will tell you the same thing. There are people who graduate from business school and have an idea and have a plan and execute upon that plan and, you know, hire all the right people and, you know, and all that. And that's great. And that is a fantastic and really smart way to start a business. That was not my way. I had a gut feeling. I had the inspiration from my father who I felt was looking out for me. And I knew how hard he worked for everything that he had. And I had a passion in trying to solve a problem. For my kids, that I thought others would want to join me, and I didn't know anything about food, but I knew a little bit about marketing. So, you know, I took a chance. Big one.
0: Yeah, it's a very big chance. I mean, I think a lot of people end up talking themselves out of building a business uh, a lot. You know, I mean, you think about how much money it takes, how much work, how much, what if I fail? It's just a lot overwhelms, I think, aspiring entrepreneurs. So what is it? I'm sure you, these same thoughts went through your head about how do I actually get this started? What's the first step or, you know, how much money am I actually going to put into this before investors will finally put their money in too? And, you know, What, how, how did you kind of manage those thoughts? I think it's important to say that I didn't have all
1: those answers when I began. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I didn't even have all the questions. Um, I just knew that this was something I wanted to do. So I learned along the way. So, uh, you know, and one of the great things about this country is that you can hire people to teach you just about anything. So I hired people to teach me about the food business. You know, I didn't know anything. I bought it, cooked it, and ate it. And that's about all that I had ever done with food. Um, although food was very important in my family growing up. Uh, that, that I will say. Um, and so, um, I, I learned the business. I, I, I hired people to help me find a manufacturer. I helped me people, I hired people to help me learn about sales. Um, and then as the business, I, I knew the marketing bit. And then as the business grew, I hired staff who were much smarter than me in these areas. And we built it from there.
0: You mentioned this phone call that you sat down your boys for, and you're like, I'm going to make this first call yeah. so that they know yeah. this is where we're, we're doing yeah. this. Yeah. Well, who was that call to? And what did you
1: say? It, it was to interestingly, the only person I ever knew who worked in the food business. <laughs> I knew one person in the food business, and I just called her and I said, I have an idea. I need you to tell me if this is crazy. Can you say who this person was uh, i i'd uh, I'd rather not, but okay, but um i said uh, i I just need you to tell me if this if this idea is crazy and she said, uh, no, it's not crazy, and it's like it's funny I needed this person who I didn't even really know that well, although <laughs> we had sort of you know met a couple of times, and she's incredibly lovely um, but I needed this validation. From this person to tell me that I could do it, and you know to anyone listening who doesn't have that person, you know that's where you have to tell yourself, and that is your job, like you have to pretend that you're the friend who was cheering you on, and uh that's a hard thing to do
0: uh but That's all that it takes. And it's important to get used to that as early as possible because as you grow the company, it just kind of more of the same. (laughs) I I still tell
1: it to myself every single day. I'm like, that's okay, you got this. And there were plenty of days when I said, what the heck am I doing? I can't tell you how many times I would be in the car and just start crying uncontrollable because I bet everything that I had on a vegetable and so, I mean, I don't know what the heck I was doing, but I just knew that it was right. I had this, this feeling that, you know, I needed to try. I, I deserve that. Uh, and um, boy, am I glad I did. And most people don't realize this. But when I think about the scariest part about starting Callie Power, even today, I think it's how close I came to not doing it. Wow. Literally feather size close. Yeah. And um, boy, I, I pinch myself daily thinking, thank God I, you know, and aired on the right side. Um, Cause I don't know what yeah. I would be doing. I'd still probably be deeply unhappy.
0: Wow. That's such an incredible takeaway. I mean, it's so true. We really all have to learn how to be our very own champion.
1: Exactly. That's exactly because they're going to be dark, dark times where no one else is around.
0: Yeah. We'll get back to that because okay. we have to talk about dark times too. Oh, oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> lots and lots.
0: Um, but let's kind of, you know, before you kind did you kind of start part-time and then go full-time or did you just cut it? I run? did
1: start to be perfectly honest with you. I did start a little bit while I had my old job. I, I did, there were, you know, I got some things in place and what have you to be perfectly honest, at least for me. And I had a big job so, and I traveled a lot. So it was really hard. It was almost impossible to start a business between the hours of two and 4 a.m. Right. Uh, And that's what I certainly came to. What I was just speaking to an entrepreneur the other day, and I was saying, you know, these COVID times are a remarkable time for starting a business because we all have more time. No one's commuting. No one's traveling. Just think what you could do in all that extra time. So you actually could give yourself a little bit more of a cushion and start as a side hustle if that's what you decide. The risk with that, you have to promise yourself that you are going to know when it's time to shift from side hustle to full hustle, when it's time
0: to shift from,
1: you know, five to
0: nine to nine to
1: five.
0: Yeah. So you called your friend, you got this validation stamp. Yeah. Yes. This is a great idea. You're like, perfect. Okay. I think I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to just go for it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then- so the name Call of Power is so cool. It sounds kind of obvious, but I'm sure it wasn't. Like, what's the story behind the name? It How was did you get not it? obvious. I wish I could <laughs> say, oh my gosh, it came to me immediately. No, not even close.
1: Uh, I I was going through a lot of them. Uh, luckily, I did work in marketing for some time. I, I had a friend who worked at um, my old agency with me who was also good, at, um, really good at this. And he and I could riff on these things and talk about it. And when we were doing that, the name Collie Power came up and we just both knew, okay, that's it. And, uh, and it's funny too. Let me just say this one thing. I was initially going to go with, with another name. Honestly, I don't even really remember what it was and it was taken. <laughs> and I remember it was taken and I thought, Oh my God, I can't do this. Somebody took the idea. Someone's going to do this. Someone's going to start the company. What am I doing? And it's just like, I don't even think that company ever came to be, which is why I don't want to say what, but I don't think they ever came to be. Or if they did, they're, they're just a much smaller product, but it's funny. There's so many signs you could look to, like I almost did as a tragedy, but on the other, but what ended up, it was the best gift I could have gotten because I wouldn't have landed on calling power and right. so it was um it was really a gift and oftentimes you'll find a lot of those little gifts along the way
0: that's awesome so you were building your team, you know, or even let's go back to the money situation. I think, cause this is also a business that's financially kind of tough to get going, right? You have to, there's probably minimums. It's like a whole thing. So how did you financially think about building the business? Did you have any first investors or did you do a friends and family round or kind of how did you get things going?
1: Well, uh, so it was, um, so my father left me a little bit of money. With, you know, not enough to retire on an island, you know, for the rest of my life, but enough to take yeah. a risk. Um, and I put every last dime into the company, didn't spend one penny. Uh, I also put a lot of my own money into it. Uh, I maxed out all my credit cards, I ate, you know, um, you know, plain wrap foods for many years. I didn't, I cut down on my you know, I used to have when I, in my old life, I used to have a house cleaner. I used to do, I cut all that out. I, um, I, what else did I do? I didn't take vacations. I just put every, I didn't go out to eat. I literally put every penny I had into the business that I could. And then I just scrimped and saved until, um, until I could pay for the rest, so I didn't do friends and family. I don't have anything against friends and family. It just wasn't for me. I felt like I I was nervous enough with my own money. I just couldn't take being responsible for those that I the money of those I love. So it wasn't for me. Um, and then I took my first round, and so I, I I left corporate life in May of 2016. We launched the business. In February of 2017, and I closed my first round in September 2017. And how much did you end up raising in September? Uh, Two million dollars. All right. Which, in this scheme of food, is actually not that much, but it yeah. seemed like like it was like the the biggest you know uh, lottery ticket I could have ever gotten. I I will never forget how I felt when my CFO and I saw the money come into our account because literally yeah. we couldn't even pay the bills. We were like, yeah. oh, we're going to get that to you. We're going to get that to you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and just to think that somebody, somebody who actually knows food is betting on me and betting on Collie power. That's an incredibly mm-hmm. validating, uh, moment. And, um, I wasn't going to let anyone down.
0: And so the fundraising process is a interesting one. I'd love to hear your experience in raising money. Any kind of like, what were the worst or best meetings that you had? Worst things said, you know, or um, any challenges that you faced along the way in your fundraising process? Oh
1: my goodness. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. I'm not a huge, you know, fan of of fundraising money. I, 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 so I, um, I, I interviewed a lot. Well, they interviewed me. So I, I hired someone to help me find the right kind of food venture capitalist. I, I knew I wanted VC money with expertise in food because I didn't have any. So I felt like that would be helpful. I must have interviewed with like 25 different VC firms. And the thing about calling power is we grew so fast that a lot of these, uh, VCs were nervous because they wanted more data. They wanted more time with us on shelves. They wanted to see how we were going to do in Walmart, you know, and, and I, I couldn't wait. I was literally out of money zero. And so, which is another, like, don't do what I did. I waited too long. I don't do that. Um, But so most of them, most, all of them turned me down, didn't turn me down. They would say things like, Oh, you know, if we could just wait two more months until that Walmart data comes in, then we're going to give you the money. I'm like, I don't have that time. There were, there were two that said, we'll bet on you now. And uh, I picked um, the one that I thought we would, um, you know, be a good chemistry fit. Because at the end of the day. You know, these are gonna be your people for quite some time. So not only do you have to, you know, um do do well by them, but you have to actually like them. And you have to actually think that they're gonna bring something to the table. And I feel super lucky, uh, Boulder Food Group bet on me very early on. And when it came time to raise my second round, where when all of these people who turned me down the first time, now they all wanted it. Literally. How can how much money can I give you? Let me just <laughs> pour this money into your bank account. Yeah. I turned them all down. because, And I went with my second round with Boulder Food Group, too. Because to me, you know, you, you dance with the one that brought you. And yeah. I felt like they bet on me and so that loyalty should be rewarded and yeah. well, they're the only it's the only team I've ever taken money from
0: that's incredible that's really a cool story and you're right um you know i hope investors out there who are listening hear that loud and clear if they yeah. don't already know yeah uh, but it's very true um yeah. and i know you know investors also even when companies fail and they they invest in a great um investors invest in people. And those people, if they fail, let's say on their first one, their second one, and they keep going in, that's because they want in on the big one, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And
1: like you you said, people, people said horrible. I mean, some people were just very nice and said, look, we need more data. We can't do it. But there were people that said horrible things. Like there was a guy I'll never forget. He ran a company, very successful company Uh, and someone wanted me to talk to him so he could validate whether he should, they should give us money. And this guy who started his company as an entrepreneur was so mean and so nasty and said things like, I wouldn't give you a dollar. I don't even think your company's worth a million dollars will ever be worth more than a million dollars. And I was just like, and it was, I mean, I was in tears because maybe he knew something one day, I'm going to call that guy back and
0: I you should call him tomorrow. I'm going call call to him- hang <laughs> up with you and I'm going to call yes. him as soon as this podcast. We should forward. just call him on just the show. We should call, call him right now. Oh my God. I've got to.
1: I love you. I've got to do that one time. I am totally going to do that. Love- I'm going to do a mini series <laughs> with you where we just call your old investors. Uh, oh my God. No, he's going to hear from me one day. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll see. But anyway, he was wrong. Um, But again, it goes back to, you know, the dark voices and the dark forces, you have to know when to get your energy from within. You have to know when you can say, you know what, that's your thought. I know this is going to work and I'm going to bet on me
0: because if you don't, no one ever will. Yeah. And it's shocking that you really, it's really true. Founders hear some pretty harsh things a lot from investors. Yeah. Um, and shockingly, yes, they were entrepreneurs too. Oh um, I, crazy. I would never say that to someone. I would never <laughs> say that. It would just it, it it makes
1: me it gives me the chills just thinking about.
0: Because who are they to know what it will actually happen? You know, it's exactly. It's just really silly. Exactly. Nobody does. Nobody. does. So you had enormous growth for every year. Uh, <laughs> so your first year, though, you were at five million revenue. You mentioned you were having actually a hard time raising a little bit because people were like. how are you growing so fast and is this a fad or is this actually going to stay so with that said what led to such significant growth what was your strategy behind that
1: um i would say there's three reasons why we
0: were successful
1: one i think is um our timing we our timing was great in fact you know sometimes i think oh i should have done it a little bit earlier but really i can't I, i i can't complain the timing was ideal cauliflower was just catching on, I put a couple things that I was seeing in the market together and thought, I think this can be a thing. As a result of our timing, we were first to market. And first to market is really everything because we grew so fast to uh, our distrib- you know, we, we, we just increased our distrib- distribution exponentially. And as a result, we were on every shelf. So I think that that was certainly a big reason. Uh, The second reason I would say is our marketing. We look a little bit different. We sound a little bit different. Our package looks different. It stands out on the shelf.
0: Your package is very cool, by the way. I just have to dive in there. Your packaging is so cool. It says like pizza, your favorite vegetable. I'm like, yes, that's actually very true. <laughs> you have live life on the veg. Yeah. You know, you have a new chick on the block yeah. for your chicken tenders. Yeah. It's like really funny, cool little you know sayings that you have on your products. That's yeah, it's
1: fun. fun. And initially, I remember, because what did I ever know about packaging? I, I remember people saying, you're going to put big black letters on your box? And like, people don't do that. I know, And I remember saying, I know, that's why I want to do it. I can't tell you how many graphic designers have reached out to me over the years and said, I'd like to fix your box. <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. I'm, like, I'm okay really, but thanks. Because we broke every rule. But sometimes yeah. you have to break rules. That's the whole part. That's your that's your job as an entrepreneur. You follow some and you break some. So that is my that's the second reason I think our marketing was was really quite spot on. The third, and you know, maybe the most important. You know, how is that um, that old adage in real estate that, you know, you always go for location, location, location. Well, the same is true in food. It's taste, taste, taste. And we always put taste at the forefront of everything we do. So super easy to make a really healthy product. But if it doesn't taste good, it's not really going to be in market. And so I think that uh, because we put taste so much at the forefront of what we do, that that has also been another reason for our success.
0: So what were some, I agree. I mean, taste is everything. So how did you kind of control that or work through that? Did you have like a group of people that are professional tasters? Like what did you put together and create? Absolutely. I had, I hired two professional tasters,
1: um, my older son and my youngest son. And uh, I had them taste everything. And uh, I figured that if it could pass their taste buds, it would be okay. And
0: they were, I mean, there were other people who tasted it, but it was primarily my son. Sounds like a new revenue channel. Like, you know, you just like outsource your kids as professional tasters to like all these new startups. Absolutely. No, they're, they were, they're awesome. And sometimes,
1: you know, I, and, and I still use them today. We're working on new projects and new innovations all the time. You know, I'll give them something and they'll no nah, go go back to the drawing board on that, you know. So uh they keep me honest and I love it.
0: So, you know, ups and downs, the roller coaster of entrepreneurship and building your business. What was one of the most challenging moments or moments of failure that you overcame?
1: Oh, <sighs> there was um to get in Walmart. You have to, so we, we, so I, I, I had said our trajectory, we launched in February of 2017. We were in Walmart stores by that October, which is wow. kind of remarkable. Yeah. I've a, never even heard of that. How is that? Or, yeah. Uh, they took an early bet on us. Um, to be in Walmart, though, you have to have a certain credit score as a company, which we didn't have merely because we weren't around that long and, um, personal credit scores don't matter. And so we had zero credit score. And so I worked very hard with Dun & Street to try and improve our score to a level that would be acceptable to Walmart. And I'll spare you all the gory details, but let's just say it was months and months of daily contact, daily trying to work on trying to improve our promises that were made and not kept and blah, blah, and all of that. Until the very last day that if I didn't have my credit score improved by this very last day, I wasn't gonna, I was gonna miss my opportunity to be in Walmart. And so I did what I would like to think anybody in my position would have done. And I wrote a letter to the CEO of Dun & Bradstreet, I mean, an email. And I was quite forceful, used words that I thought might encourage him to open it. And within 35 minutes, I heard from his chief of staff. Wow. And let's just say we have been selling in Walmart ever since.
0: Now, is this just because the team there wasn't really doing their job or like, why, why did you have to email a CEO? It's tough
1: sometimes to be a small company and act like a big company. And I think Collie Power has suffered from this from the beginning. Look, we, you know, we're obviously much bigger today than, than when we started, but we're still a, a fraction of the size of most of the people we share the freezer space with. Fraction of the size. And, you know, there we are with our little black letters on our box, just trying to like hang in there. And so you sometimes, so the the system is not always set up for the little guy. You know, it's not always set up to make it real easy. There should have been a program where someone, where a new company with the issue with, with could, that was going to be in Walmart could actually have an easier time of getting theirs. And to be fair, I think that does exist today, but it didn't at the time. And I think yeah. I'd like to think that Collie Power served as a good case example of that. I will also tell you uh, that Walmart jumped in on my behalf and, and you know, fought for us. Yeah, and that's, that's excellent. And that's really important to know too. And it's important for people to know that that happened all the time, that all the time people... People like to see, you know, David win sometimes and they're right. really cheering you on. And I've had lots of people help along the way and give me advice and, you know, sneak me an email and say, you know, and teach me how to do it. Um, and I'm so incredibly grateful for that. It's really,
0: um, it was a nice surprise that I I, I really treasure quite quite dearly. Yeah. It's important to have those people, whether they're mentors or advisors or... Customers or, you know, whatever. Yeah, people I would meet along the way, retailers,
1: distributors, who like liked the product and liked what we were trying to do and said, you know what, Gail, you're not really doing this right. Try this, you know, and I would, and I was, it was just and no one had to do that, but they, they were cheering us on literally.
0: And um, that was incredible. So what's something you wish you would have known before you started your business? <laughs>
1: I, I I have to say, I do often wonder if I knew then what I know now, would I even start it? I didn't know it would be this hard. I didn't know that every day would be a roller coaster. It's not that the journey is a roller coaster. It's that every day is a roller coaster. Yeah. I didn't know that the lows would be so low if I had maybe I could have prepared myself better for them. I I also didn't know that the lows would be surmountable. You know, that it's you have those lows, but you could also work your way out of them. Um, I wish I would have known that. I think I could have saved myself a lot of heartache. I didn't know that so many people would be trying to help us along the way. Um, I didn't know how many... Employees, we could have that would, you know, care about the company, you know, as much as I do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when and when you say these lows, okay. I mean, according to your numbers and the insane growth you've had, I think from the outside listeners might be like, "What do you mean lows? You're at like a hundred million in revenue right now. What lows are you talking about?" Right. So what what kind of lows? are you referring to?
1: They're yeah, probably in different categories. You know, some of the lows were just like, you know, uh, just the challenges of being a startup. You know, I remember the first order of wall, of our Whole Foods, we were in whole, 30 Whole Foods stores, the truck got stuck between one gate that was closed from the manufacturer and the other gate that was closed from the uh, distributor. And so literally my entire life was locked in a truck on a frozen highway in Illinois. And if I missed the window to Whole Foods, I would have never got another order. I literally stayed up with the truck the entire night. So I'm just saying like, there's always problems. You're building the plane as you're flying it. Nothing ever works. Nothing is easy. Nothing is easy. Uh, the whole thing with the, you know, um, all just trying to get food onto the shelf during the middle of a global pandemic, um, brought a whole new set of challenges, but then there are other, So there's, there's like the challenges of manufacturing stuff is extraordinarily hard, but then there's also, you know, the highs and lows of, oh, we want to bring your product in. We don't want to bring your product in. Sales are great this month. Sales are not great this month. I mean, take your pick, right? Right. It's like, um, but obviously there's been a lot more highs than lows. But I think one of the wonderful things about having lows as an entrepreneur is it just makes the highs that much more wonderful. Every, every, we sell, I I always tell our team, always got to celebrate the little wins. Always celebrate the little wins. Because
0: there's, an extraordinary amount. And I feel incredibly blessed. Yeah. And so, you know, being a founder, as you're just saying, involves an incredible amount of persistence and resiliency. What's a routine or activity, a thought process that helps keep you on track and keeps you positive, motivated each day?
1: Probably um, reading uh, our social media, seeing how we get to be part of people's dinner times. Uh, someone uh, two nights ago was saying how they were going to have Kali power on their anniversary. So we sent them a little box of like wine and Kali power and all of these things. And she just like, she loved it. And it really, it really meant a lot to her. Yeah, I like how to me, the dinner table or the lunch table or any place that we eat together and share food is the most important place in the home. And the fact that we get to be a part of it, when I see that, it is so motivating to me. It's that, that I, I, it's 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 really my happy place.
0: And speaking of social media, I was reading this article, there have been some horrible trolls out there, you know, kind of saying some things. Can you kind of talk about how you work through those things or how you approach those and kind of naysayers or maybe people that just don't maybe get it?
1: Look, it's not, it's certainly, you know, uh, we don't, we, we are a very welcoming brand. Mm -hmm. We have food for everybody. We have food for vegans. We have food for meat eaters. We have food for vegetarians. We have food for dairy free people. We have food for keto people. We have food for paleo people. We have food for everybody. And so we're a very inclusive brand. Some people, you know, find it hard to live in that world, which is fine. We don't have to sell to every single person in America. I'm I'm fine with that. And, you know, anybody who spends any time online knows that, you know, there are trolls. But I have to tell you, overwhelming love for the brand. And what yeah. I love, what makes me smile is when people say, and I hear this a lot, I love your brand. They, it's like they love the pizza or they love the chicken tenders, but that I love your brand. And to me... That's a community, that's a village, that's a pe that's a place where people want to live and share. And I just um uh I focus on that and 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 that's primarily what gets us all through. Yeah.
0: What um what is something you think most people don't know about building a business? I think people
1: don't know uh how lonely it is. And I would say it's lonely because it's really hard to understand what the entrepreneur is going through. Now, I did a, a slightly different take on things. Every, there's no right or wrong way. I left my job in May of 2016. We launched in 30 Whole Food stores in February 2017. That time in between, I worked at home by myself and I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. Maybe five people knew about college Tower. Yeah.
0: You kept it a secret.
1: Yeah. kept it a secret. I didn't tell anyone. Why? Um, I really didn't want to hear people say, what do you know about pizza? Or what do you know about starting a food company? Because mm-hmm. of course that's what they would have said. And I just didn't want to hear it. So I just didn't tell anyone. Um, by... It's super lonely because no one understands what you have to give up. I've lost some friends along the way. I haven't been able to maintain nine-tenths of my friendships and relationships with people. I, you know, people would go out to lunch or dinner. Well, back before uh, COVID, of course, people would you know, want to connect. Oh, let's grab a coffee. Let's do this. I, I couldn't do it uh, because it is so all-consuming. And that sometimes can be very lonely. Yeah. Um, but it's important to just have your little support system with you and help you cheer you on.
0: Definitely. Um, and as you know, starting and growing a business involves a lot of professional and personal growth. Have you, how have you grown personally as a leader?
1: I'm a lot more patient, which I think my team would just all break into hysterics if they could hear me (laughs) but I actually am Uh, I'm I'm a lot more I'd say probably more resilient uh that problems early on used to really rattle me and now problems today I feel more confident that we'll be able to get through it that there's a solution that's a nice comforting feeling
0: Is that from coaching or is that just from your experience that, you know, things will work out? Did you ever see an executive coach? Like, how do you kind of maintain that positivity? Because I beat my head against the wall (laughs) enough times and I realized, well, that's not going to do any good. Uh, No, and I, and, you
1: know, I just spent so much time, I, I look back and I think I spent so much time just sort of worrying and staying up and losing my, passion because I would become so wrapped up in just, you know, the, the issue of the day. And what did it get me? Nothing. It got me nowhere. So now I just think, okay, I remember the, you know, thousand and one problems that I just wrapped up over, you know, 2019. So now in
0: 2020, okay, we're going to handle this. It's fine. We've been through worse. We'll, we'll get through it. And for the aspiring entrepreneurs out there, um, two things, what kind of qualities or characteristics do you think make up a strong entrepreneur? And then two, what kind of advice do you have? You've already shared a lot of incredible insights, but if you have any additional kind of last advice that you'd like to share.
1: You use the word resilience, which I love. And, and, and I think that's a really powerful one. You have to be fearless. You, you, you have to be fearless in everything that you do. You have to be tireless. It's exhausting. Uh, you work on it. Like I used to say, oh, I work 24-7. I didn't work 24-7. Now I work 24-7. But at the time, I used to think I worked hard. <laughs> Nothing compared. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like work because it's yours. Yeah. It's something that's so meaningful for you. And I would say in terms of advice, I think everybody has to pick the rules that you're going to follow conventional wisdom is smart for a reason people have learned the hard way and you should learn by their mistakes and go by what you know conventional wisdom would tell you and you have to talk to a lot of people and read up in order to know what that is but then you also have to be willing to break a few rules and you have to know that that's okay and actually that's your job because if the You as an entrepreneur aren't going to break those rules. Who will? You have to take risks. You have to. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to be like all, like every other company that's currently out there. So do things differently.
0: Awesome. Well, Gail, thank you so much for your time on the show today. I really appreciate it. Do you have any other final thoughts you'd like to share about where, you know, we can see cauliflower next? Currently, Kali is in 25,000 stores in the us and canada
1: and we just launched our brand new so we have uh the pizzas of course and we have our chicken tenders which are the healthiest chicken tender ever made we have our sweet potatoes we have tortillas and we just launched our new rice product which is cauliflower rice mixed in with these amazing never before done spices and flavors um, all in a microwavable recyclable and dishwasher safe cup and you just put it in the microwave for three minutes and you have it just rolling out into stores now it's like giving birth so yeah. you know you have to talk about your latest baby and you know maybe for your next podcast we can talk about the challenge of trying to launch a product in the middle of a pandemic but yeah. um, all good and you know we just keep innovating so we love to hear from people so I hope if anyone out there is a fan or would like to try our product um we'd love to help you do that
0: thanks so much gail i really appreciate your time today it was awesome hearing your story oh i loved it thank you so much